This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Hey, Deirdre. You want to feel inadequate? Listen to this. That's Mozart's Missa Brevis in D minor. Here's the kicker. Mozart wrote it when he was 12. Yeah. Day... Month three, anyway. Good long while. Forgive me, D. You've been in my thoughts, of course. I mean, you've been in my prayers. The fact is, I haven't had much to say. There are periods in the life of a pilgrim where you have to stay more or less in one place, for all kinds of reasons. This has been one of those periods. The money ran out. Simple as that. I said it would. I'm about 50 kilometers out of Schritzwey. I walked here with Val, but we parted ways in friendship when we arrived here. Good old Val. Here, listen to this. It's worth it. <laughs> I just let the Omnibook record. I told him I would. He was fine with it. I just wanted you to hear his voice once. This thing on? Yes. Cool. What's your name again? Deirdre. Deirdre. Good. Good name. Good morrow, Deirdre. You've got a good cousin in Vons here. Good walker. Good. 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 You okay, man? Yeah, fine. Good. Be careful out there, alright? And we'll meet again on the big, long road. You know that, yes? It's certainly possible. Possible? It's inevitable. Our paths will cross again. Okay. One way or another, you know? Right. Just remember, Vons. Hatches. If you're serious about the big, long road, learn about hatches. Verdammt, Val. What does that even mean? What doesn't it mean? Yes, scripture. Yes, prayer. Yes, our neighbor. Yes, our Lord and Savior. Yes, yes, yes. But hatches, Vons. Hatches are the point of the walk, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Are you fucking drunk? You'll see that I'm right soon enough. Okay, that'll do, you maniac. Say goodnight to Deirdre. Goodnight, Deirdre. Hatches, Vons. I'm not kidding. You're certifiable, man. See what I mean, Dave? We'll meet again, he says. One way or another, apparently. Who the hell knows what that means? But it left a bit of an impression on me, to tell you the truth. Sounds almost ominous. You know, 
Val's a fine, sturdy walking buddy, but at times, exhausting, I suppose is the word. Verdammt. Now, for the last eight weeks, I've been working in the vineyards of the Sisters of St. Julian. If I had to be hard up, I could have done worse than end up here, couldn't I? St. Julian said it herself, you'll remember. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That's reassuring, surely. The fields, the grapes, are on one side of the convent, and there's a beautiful lake on the other. That's where I'm sitting right now, on the sand. There's a dock where I used to sit when I first arrived here, but it's a little too close to the water for my taste just now. You'll understand why in a bit. The sisters go canoeing in the morning after mass, but in the evening, we field hands have got the place to ourselves. We all sleep in barracks near the road, which is not nearly as nice, so we often spread out over the beach before turning in for the night. Campfire, guitar, songs, you know. Peaceful. The days are pretty fadumped backbreaking, I won't lie to you, but the sisters feed us well. They make a caramel spread that's absolutely sinful. The beds are reasonably unlumpy, and we're all welcome to church every day, if that's our thing. They have an excellent organist, which makes me pretty happy. I've been making suggestions for the liturgical program. As you can imagine, they've been received with delight. I would have been on my way weeks ago. I don't need that much money on the big long road, but there was an accident on the farm a couple of kilometers out toward town. Nothing to do with me, right? Well, a young farmhand working uh, in a grain silo. Corn on, on, on top of the corn. Bad idea, of course, but they all do it. He was walking over a spoiled grain bridge. He had no clue. There was an air pocket and loose corn just under his feet. The verdammt top crust broke. He fell through. Five seconds and he couldn't get out on his own. Pressure was so bad that both his legs were broken. Also his coccyx. They got him out! It was a miracle day. People don't usually survive these things. But he, um... He won't be working for a while. When I heard that story from Sister Dorothy, I nearly passed out. You know, Dee. You know. You were my miracle that day. Did I ever tell you? That was when I decided that the big long road was for me. I was Barely thirteen, but I told my parents before I even left that hospital bed. This was God speaking to me, saying, No more walls. Not for me. Not ever. There must have been something in my eyes, because my mother just nodded. My dad smiled. A bit wistfully, I thought at the time. But I, I, I don't believe that anymore. My story is really not one of a vocation thwarted by angry parents. None of that carrying on the family name shit. Not that pilgrims can't have children, as you know. Mom and Dad were always a bit mystical. I think they were proud of me. 
A week later, I had a new name, and I was sitting in Herr Gustavo's classroom, one row behind Danica, and we were learning about mushrooms on other planets. So, in a way, I have you to thank for. Well, for everything, Dee. I mentioned that childhood memory and confession, and the priest, her name is Maida, she's great, noted the sort of kinship I felt with the injured man and suggested I visit him to pray with and for him. So I accompanied Sister Dorothy to the hospital. I was hyperventilating, but I went. Met his wife and his two children, too. Lovely family. They're, uh, they're all pretty freaked out. And obviously, this makes money pretty tight for them. Right. Okay. Over the next three nights after that, I had the same dream. Three nights in a row. It starts with me playing in the snow. In that tunnel, we dug under all that snow behind the house. The light is dark blue in the tunnel, which is probably a false memory. Must have been gray, really. I'm crawling slowly through, and the walls are just about a hand span from me on all sides, and um, I don't mind. <laughs> There's a clean smell in the tunnel. My nose tickles from the frigid air. I feel the cold seeping through the knees of my winter pants. I can hear you singing happily on the other side, Deirdre. I want to sing too. I start to take a big breath. And the world crashes in on me with a blinding white gold light. And there's snow in my nose and my mouth and my eyes and my ears and I scream. But no sound comes out and no air comes in when I try to breathe. The walls push in on me. They push in and there is no space between my skin and the walls. No space. Then less than no space. I feel myself reduced, compressed. I become a singularity. When it happened, I woke up in your arms, Deirdre. You remember? In your arms, and with a bunch of adults rushing about and shouting. But in the dream, when my body comes back to me, I am underwater. Way under the surface. Entre deux eaux, as they say in French. There are shafts of sunlight piercing the water around me, I'm in a blind panic. I'm drowning. I must be drowning. And there's a, a shape coming up from the depths. A sinuous, spiraling shape with a big verdammt mouth and a bunch of teeth. And I'm, I'm flailing like a verdammt madman, even though I'm not, in fact, drowning. I understand that now. And that makes no sense. I, I squirm around to look at whatever's coming for me. It's dark and nebulous, and it's huge, and I get the feeling I'll have to fight it. I've got my sword back, I'm holding on to it like grim death in my metal hands. 
But then as the form coalesces as it rises from under me, I'm suddenly convinced it's about to speak to me. And I'd rather fight it. It's small, gapes. Then I wake up screaming, and that wakes up the whole fadamed crew in the sleeping barracks. And the third night I do that, I can tell they're starting to be a little less understanding about it. Three nights in a row. Not subtle. I had to do something, if only to exercise that fucking dream, Deirdre. As far as I can tell, it means two things. Don't go near the Fadant Lake. And try to help that farmhand and his family. I suppose the serpent in the water is the threat of physical danger, financial ruin, existential uncertainty, a life upended, what have you. Everything that man and his wife fear. Everything we all fear. So for the last seven weeks, I've been sending all my wages their way. In a few more days, I'll start piling up the money again for my own use. One likes to feel useful, but I am on the road, and I want to be on the road. I'm still at least 750 kilometers away from the hatch to Schritt 3. Still weaponless, mind. Apart from the knife I confiscated from those three delinquents in Schritt 1. You know, I'm beginning to think that the whole, the whole weapon motif is going to be symbolic, and not much more on this trip. Oh, and in other news, I wanted to tell you. I've been writing music. A setting of the Alma Redemptoris Mater for soprano and organ. It's quite exciting. My thinking is that as I tend to gravitate toward churches as I walk, I might as well write music that I have a chance to hear performed. Remind me to tell you how I'm learning composition. It's, um, it's a little surreal. Like a dream. Ha ha. I think of you often, D. My best to you and yours. Hope you enjoyed your summer holidays and you have a great school year. I'll try to send you something out of Schritt 3 for Christmas. Notes to Oniric, Month 3 by Tevra Troy, Doctoral Candidate, Alternative Narrative Traditions, Université de Montréal, October 14, 683. UDMID TT 603782. Plot-wise, this episode of Oniric represents a pause, an interlude between action beats. But it does establish many of the significant undergirding elements of the story, some more subtly than others. The importance of hatches is underlined once again. We learn, and this is a bit of a relief to be frank, that Wanderer is a pseudonym. The real name of the protagonist, by the way, will remain unknown over the entire two-season run of Oniric. The timeline begins to stretch, a feature that the author will eventually take to extremes. Wanderer's fear of confined spaces, hinted at in episode one, is described here in some detail. 
It is linked to the young farmhand's unfortunate accident. Rather clumsily, it must be said, by way of a disquieting dream featuring both suffocation and drowning imagery, and the threat of a shadowy monster. Wanderer's own cursory interpretation of this dream feels pat and unconvincing. It is difficult to accept that he believes it himself, particularly after his own admission in episode 3 that some of his dreams no longer feel like dreams but memories. The mention that Vons has been writing music bears noting. I say no more. The rapturous all shall be well quotation makes it explicit that St. Julian refers to Julian of Norwich, the rather exalted 14th century anchoress and mystic, author of Revelations of Divine Love. I am not convinced that the author has considered any thematic implications beyond the immediate aptness of that well-known excerpt. Hi everyone, I'm Tong. I'm Sam. And I'm Laura. And we are... Disney Dummies! Look, we know there are Disney super fans out there, but even the superest of fans could still be Disney dummies. That's why the three of us are on a quest to watch every single animated theatrical release in chronological order, from Snow White all the way to whatever's out right now. We dive into each movie in detail, talking about fun facts, talking about the animation, hit you with some hot takes, our favorite reviews on the internet. We even talk about who fucks. I still can't believe that's an actual segment. So join us every second Wednesday for another episode of Disney Dummies. And Pixar Pals when we finally catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Brought to you by the fairy tale whimsical depths of the Podcavern. Cavern.